One of the simplest and most profound insights from the Bible comes just a few verses before our reading from 1 John 4 this morning. It's there at the very end of verse 8. God is love, the scripture says. It's the most simple truth we could teach our kids and that we could show one another. And at the very same time, it's the kind of thing we can spend a lifetime trying to internalize. God is love. Basic, right? But it's also something you are created to discover more and more of what that means for you and for the world beyond you. God is love. It's easy to memorize. It's easy to repeat. It's not so easy to really know that deep inside ourselves, that that somehow the one who holds all things together, the one who's stretching out the universe and creating new galaxies even now, the one who is beyond all time and all-knowing, the the source of all being, is also love itself and is loving all of that vast creation beyond our ability to know and is also loving all of creation in its minute particularity, even the smallest particles of it, which is to say, of course, that God is loving you and the unique, particular dynamics of your life and your story and your successes and in your failures and your sin and smallness and your irritability and in your kindness and your beauty and the profoundness of your life and all of that together, God is loving you. That's what we're getting at when we begin to say that God is love. It's simple, and and yet it's really hard to internalize. But this is what Jesus was revealing to the world, and it's what the Bible gradually reveals as we move through its story and we discover more and more. And it's what we're not just invited, but actually called and created to know. And so to help us a little bit with that today. I want to tell you about one of my favorite fall treats because, you know, nothing says love like the whole house filling with the smell of something baking in the oven, right? Especially when it's starting to get a bit cold outside. At least that's what my grandpa taught me when I was a teenager. When I I was in high school, I think it was, he told me, you know, Chris, don't focus too much on how a girl looks. Looks can change, he said, But if you find a woman who can cook, you'll be happy for the rest of your marriage. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that old school advice is at least a little bit sexist, and it's probably not the priorities that I will be passing on to my grandkids. But I am glad to know that grandpa was happy because, boy, grandma could cook. And somehow I got lucky to marry a woman who is 
both beautiful on the inside and outside and who just happens to like to bake. And there is something she makes on occasion this time of year that I always look forward to. Maybe if she watches the sermon, she'll make it this week. We'll see. But she takes that that wonderful pumpkin flavor that so many of us love this time of year, and she mixes it with the most important, important ingredient to my own heart, chocolate chips, of course. And then she throws all of that into the oven, and the house just starts filling with that warm smell of fall goodness, and, and with that baking in the oven, you know what that does, right? The smell wafting in the air, it makes our mouths start to water in anticipation, but you just have to wait and wait as it bakes. And there's something about the waiting that makes the longing grow, doesn't it? And the whole experience a bit better. And then finally, it comes out of the oven, but still you have to wait, don't you? You have to wait for it to cool until finally it is ready. And I cut a piece out and I put it on my plate. And then I take that first bite of warm pumpkin chocolate chip bars. And I know that fall has come in all its goodness. Only when I look back down at my plate, I always find that somehow the whole thing is gone. And I'm never really sure how that happened. Must have been the dog because I'm pretty sure I only had a bite, right? So, of course, I have to go back for a second piece. And wouldn't you know it, the same thing happens again. I'm not sure how, but all I know is that even after the second piece, my mouth is still watering for more. My hunger hasn't lessened any. I want more. That's the thing with these pumpkin chocolate chip bars. It's one of those treats, kind of like brownies do this to me. It's one of those treats that always seem to leave me wanting more. Well, the saints of old, some of the spiritual giants of our faith, people like Teresa of Avila and Augustine and John of the Cross and so many others who sought after this deep love of God tell us that this is actually what discovering the love of God is like. In Augustine's autobiography, he tells us about his own experience of discovering that after living a life of not really believing in God. He was just sort of living for himself and whatever whims came his way, pursuing whatever impulses he had, partying, sex, money, whatever it was. But then one day he was walking down the street and there was someone speaking off on the side. A man named St. Ambrose was preaching about God. And, And as Augustine was passing by, something stirred in him. It was almost like walking past something that smelled delicious was wafting in the air and you suddenly realize that you're hungry for barbecue and you didn't even know it. Something similar happened to Augustine. Something true and beautiful was wafting in the air and he suddenly felt a deep stirring and he realized how hungry he was for truth and beauty itself. His, his soul stirred with hunger pains. And he began to desire that and go after that. And the more he woke to the source of truth and beauty, the more he longed for it, the more he longed for God. And this is how he describes that in his confessions. You called and cried out loud 
and shattered my deafness. You were radiant and splendid. You put to flight my blindness. You were fragrant, and I drew in a breath, and now I pant for you. I tasted you, but now I feel hunger and thirst for you. You touched me, and now I'm set on fire to obtain the peace that's only found in you. Augustine was awakening to God. He was awakening to love, and it was consuming more and more of him, this desiring love for God. And the thing is, this is what Jesus describes, I think, when he's talking about that first great commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. It's this consuming, desiring love for God with all that you are. You see, I don't think when Jesus is speaking about this as a commandment, it's not a commandment in the sense that maybe a general would give a command to a soldier. The two commandments that Jesus teaches us are not so much enforced demands as they are, I think, fundamental realities to life, realities to live into. Let me say that one more time because I think it's really important in how we approach what a command is from God. The two great commandments are not so much demands placed upon us as they are fundamental realities to live into. They are commandments and that they are the two essential foundations of life to which we are called. So loving God isn't living in this demanding submission to a demanding God. It's actually living in relationship to the deep lover of your life living in relationship to the lover of your soul. It's allowing your very self to be awakened to this deeper and deeper desire for the one who desires you. And I think that's some of the difference between learning the simple truth that God is love and beginning to internalize this profound reality that God is love. Everything is summed up in it. It all comes together as we start awakening to that. That's what Jesus is trying to tell us in the first great commandment. And here's the thing that 1 John teaches us about that, 1 John 4, that this love of God in us and the desire for God grows in us because God is love, because we have been loved and are being loved by the eternal Heart. Our desire for God, our longing is there because something deep in us has been touched by the eternal. We love God because God first loved us, John says. Maybe you know what that's like in a personal relationship with someone to begin to love someone because they have been loving you fiercely and gradually it works on your heart or to be touched by someone and to have desire stirred in you, or to see someone make a great sacrifice for you and to have loving devotion stirred in you towards that person. This is how it is with us and God. 
And it's one of the other great truths that so many of the saints taught, but was really first explored by an early saint from Egypt named Origen. Origen was living and writing just a couple hundred years after the beginning of the church, and he's one of the early influencers of Christian spirituality, and he's actually still today considered one of the most brilliant minds in all of church history. And what he said was this, all of the longings that we experience, all the desires that are stirred in us, whether they are our mouth watering for pumpkin chocolate chip bars or our skin longing to be touched by a lover, whether it's our spinning thoughts that are longing to just find stillness or our imaginations longing to reach out and understand something new, whether it's our hearts longing for connection with another person or longing for identity and purpose, all of that longing actually comes from the soul's longing for the eternal. And the reason that we spend so much of our lives with that restless longing, never quite satisfied, at least not satisfied for very long, is that we have been touched and created by the God who's not this static force of love, but actually loving desire. And that same desire of God's heart, that eternal desiring of God's heart is now echoing in our hearts. It's what 1 John 4 is saying. God is love and we love because God first loved us. Our restlessness, our desire, it's actually just an echo of the desiring heart of God for us. And I want to invite you to to let that really soak in for a moment, because what that means is that all of the restlessness you experience in this life of yours, the desires that stir in you, whether that's a desire for affection or esteem or importance or a job, whether that desire is for more security and safety for you and your family, or maybe a desire for more control over your life or or power to influence. None of those desires are bad, but underneath them, where they come from, is this longing desire for the eternal, the longing in you. The desire even for, for superficial things in your life, they aren't bad, they aren't unholy, they are created and planted in you because it's in that experience of desire and restlessness that you can actually begin to know and recognize that what we're actually feeling and experiencing is an echo of God's deep, restless desire for you. We love because God first loved us, 1 John 4 says. The greatest commandment, the most fundamental thing to life, Jesus teaches is to love God with all that you are. Everything begins there. But it doesn't end there, does it? Jesus and 1 John both insist that the litmus test for whether or not you are discovering real love or a false love, whether you are beginning to pursue the true root of your desires or the false expressions of your desires is actually found in how you love others, how you love your neighbor, 
how we love one another, how we love maybe the least of these, especially, or even how we love those that are the hardest for you to love, whoever that might be. Jesus said that the second commandment, the second foundational reality of life is like the first, which is to say that loving your neighbor is fundamentally related to loving God. The more we're doing one, we're doing the other. We can't do one without the other. They are like, they are of the same substance. And then 1 John even gets a lot more direct about this. If someone says, I love God, John writes, and yet he hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For if you can't love those that you can see, you certainly aren't loving God who you can't see. What you're probably actually loving isn't a God of your own making. If you say you love God, but you can't love your brother or sister, you are lying, and probably mostly to yourself. And this, of course, could become a whole nother sermon, but for today, let me just remind you that the deep desiring love that God has for you is the same deep desiring love that God has for even some of the worst human beings among us. That's what grace actually is. Love isn't rooted in our performance. It's not rooted in us at all. Love is always rooted from the beginning in the very heart of God because God is love, which means that God is still desiring and loving those that we find the most appalling. And I think it's really hard for us to know what to do with that, isn't it? It's hard to hold together somehow loving someone when we're also appalled by their behavior. And so I, I think we have to begin to remember that love never means we ignore hurtful behavior. Just like God doesn't ignore even our own sin. And love certainly doesn't mean we're passive toward it or we excuse or allow those that are harming other people or those that are harming God's creation to to just sort of go on out of being non-confrontational. God's love demands change. But love does remember and recognize that at the core of every person, the very fundamental reality of every life is that they are created in divine love. And somehow that has to be our deepest orientation towards them. You see, we have to remember that the love of God can actually hold all of that together, hold all that love is together. It can hold together a passion for what is true and just, sort of that fierce love of a mama bear protecting her vulnerable cubs, while also holding together a disorienting grace and mercy. The love of God can hold together profound power and tenderness. I mean, isn't that what we see in Jesus, right? This righteous indignation and gentleness, power and tenderness, grace and demanding righteousness. What Jesus shows us is that all of that is a part of the love of God, and all of it together is reaching out to each one of us 
and to all. And so my prayer for you and for us all, especially in these next few very turbulent weeks, these weeks of political turmoil, these weeks of schools transitioning in our community, these weeks of rising COVID cases in our community and in our country, these weeks as the days are getting shorter and the nights heavier and longer, my prayer is that you might awaken more and more to the eternal heart that can hold all these paradoxes together. May you awaken more and more to that passionate longing for justice along with this disorienting power of grace. And may it give you both tenderness and great courage towards those that are hard for you to love. And in all the restlessness you feel in these days, may you discover the longing heart of God for you. Amen.